Well, I don't have a story of a time that I was caught doing something and then expected punishment and got grace. I mean, I probably do, but like Dan said, I think sometimes those just sort of fall to the wayside. You don't appreciate the grace as much as you should. Um, But I have an opposite story for us um, where I paid the consequences. So in fifth to eighth grade at my school, we had music and fine arts class. And I don't know if we had it every single week or if it was once a month, but it was kind of infrequent. It wasn't an everyday class. Um, And so... I was behind on my assignment and I decided, okay, I, I don't have this assignment finished. And so my best friend let me copy off her paper. And so I copied her paper and somehow the teacher knew it was me. And I think that's a little unfair from the get go. Like why did my friend, I don't know. It didn't seem like a cop show situation where she brought us both in and she was trying to get us to flip on each other. I think she just knew it was me, that I was the cheater, which seems unfair from the start. But she knew that it was me and I paid the consequences and I took a zero on that, on that assignment. Um, but on top of that, this teacher never looked at me the same. Um, later on, I don't remember if it was that year or another year. It could have even been another year. She had these extra credit assignments we could do. And for one of them, it was like, do a, a patriotic craft. And so I made this pillow that had like an American flag painted on it. And when I turned it in, she looked at me and said, where'd you buy this? Oh, wow. Like I'd purchased my extra credit project, which yes. I guess means that it was good enough to look professional but also she, she just judged me as being dishonest and I had no trust um she, yeah she didn't trust me after that point and so I was always going to be the person who cheated off of my best friend's paper from that point on and who would buy her extra credit projects at Joanne's or Michael's right um and so tonight we're going to talk about how kind of like my one mistake like clouded my teacher's view of me for the rest of time. One man's trespass, one man's sin um, brought on consequences for all of humankind. And how Jesus steps in to rescue us from that. Um, So we've talked about the big problem, the bad news, and then we've spent a little time talking about the good news. And so our main idea tonight is that what Adam did, Jesus reversed and much more. Um, So as we read through um, the next section, there are some key words that I want you to pay attention to. But let's first just kind of recap what you talked about last week. Um, I wasn't here, but I heard that in reading Romans 5, 1 through 11, you talked a little bit. It's like a night of distractions, huh? <laughs> yeah. Let me grab the dog. Come on, guys. Okay. You're good. Okay. <laughs> 
I heard that in reading Romans 5, 1 through 11, you talked about how we aren't only justified, but we're also reconciled. Um, that we are not only declared innocent, but we're also brought back into harmony and peace with God. Um, and so tonight, as we look at this story, um, as Paul brings this into the idea of um, contrasting Adam and Jesus, we're going to look at sort of the harmony that came before sin, the design that God had for humankind before sin came into the world, and what Jesus really restores us to and more. Um, so as we read tonight, let's go ahead and pay attention to um, the words one, many, and all, and then the word reign, and then the phrase much more. So we're going to see those kind of repeated throughout the passage tonight. And as always, Romans is a little bit of a tongue twister, so we'll just we'll just get through it, and then we'll talk about it. So. We'll untwist it a little bit together. So we're starting in Romans 5, verse 12, and I am reading from the English Standard Version, which is the one that matches your scripture journals. And it will be on the screen. Very tiny. Always. I need to stop that. Okay. (laughs) Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought con- condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man jesus christ therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We also could have paid attention to the word free gift. That that was in there a lot too. And so we really have this contrast between Adam and Jesus here. Um, And so I thought Paul makes the assumption we all know who Adam is, and maybe we do. But just in case we don't, I thought it would be good for us to look at um, a little bit of Adam's story. And a few weeks ago, we looked at a little bit of Abraham's story because Paul also made the assumption that we knew who Abraham was. So who knew that we would read so much of Genesis when we were studying Romans? Um, (laughs) So 
Adam is the first man God creates in the Bible. And um, you can read about his story in Genesis 2 and 3 um, and beyond. And so this is after God has created all of the elements of the world. And he has said that it's very good. And he's placed Adam and his wife Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it's bountiful and full of a lot of amazing fruits and vegetables and things to eat. And um, this is the setting for these verses. So they're in this garden. Um, And so let's read Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17, and then we'll skip forward to um, 3, verses 7 through 11. And the Lord God commanded the man... This is Adam saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And what happens next? There's a crafty serpent who comes to Eve and says, surely God didn't tell you that you would die. And doesn't this look like amazing, amazing fruit and you'll be like God if you eat of it. You'll understand what good and evil is and your eyes will be opened. And so Eve is deceived and she shares the fruit with Adam. And then this is what happens in chapter three, verse seven. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And of course, the answer is yes, they've eaten of the tree. And so God takes them and He puts them out of the Garden of Eden because he knows that now that they know good and evil and they've sinned and they've brought this this sin into the world, God doesn't want them eating from the tree of eternal life. So he doesn't want them living forever um, with this knowledge, right? And with this sinful nature. Um, And so he takes them and puts them out of the Garden of Eden. So that's sort of the end of that story there. And a couple things I want us to notice here is that, number one, God was walking with them. He was close enough in this garden that they could hear him walking through the garden. And number two, sin made them hide from God. They hid from God's presence, it said. In verse 8, they hid from God's presence among the trees of the garden. And number three, they were afraid because they were naked. They were naked and afraid. What does that show? It's not a TV show, right? I'm sure that it comes from this passage, the title of that TV show. And so they're afraid. And so I imagine what. God's intention was before sin came into the world that his presence was right there with them and that um, as you talked about reconciliation last week 
this is what estranged them from God. This is what separates. Sin separates us from God. This sin makes us apart from God. And so we do. We need someone to come in and to reconcile us, to bring us back to peace and harmony with God. And this was the kind of harmony God wanted for us with him. Um, so this is not a big discussion question, but this is just like a raise of hands. Has anybody ever voted in an election? We have a primary coming up. And this isn't to like force you all to tell me if you're voters or not. Have you even voted for class president or prom king or anything like that, right? <laughs> I'm sure most, if not all of us, have voted for something. Um, and when you're voting for something, you're, you are asking someone to represent you, right? You want this person to represent you and the people and the best interests of everyone around you. And that's what we hope. But you'll notice we didn't get a vote with Adam, right? Adam represents us all and we know this because God says you shall not eat of it in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and from the time of Adam up until now what is one sure thing all of us die right from the youngest baby who in all appearances has not sinned is not deserving of death um to the oldest person in the world, which for the record right now is Kane Tanaka, who turned 117 on January 2nd. She lives in Japan. So from the youngest baby to 117-year-old, or yeah, 117-year-old women in Japan, all of us die. That's a long-ass time. <laughs> That's a long time to live. But no one escapes death. And so sin, Adam's sin, brought death to all of humankind. And to us and to me, in our Western culture, we're very individualistic. We don't have a, a great grasp on like being a tribe or a community or having, um, yeah, we're not that communal of a people we might like to think we are but we're not we're pretty individualistic and so it might look unfair to have one person represent us all and I've heard a lot of pastors say that well if Adam didn't do it it would have been me and that's probably true it would have been us and all of us in this room have sinned right so we've all we deserve our consequences but the good thing about Adam standing in for all of us means that um, that one man can stand for us and sin and one man can come in and stand for us in righteousness. So um, <laughs> that's why it's a good thing. Even though we didn't get a vote in Adam, um, one other man can represent us now, and that's Jesus. And so we may not have gotten a choice, but we do get a choice whether or not to receive this free gift from God by faith in Jesus Christ.
And so let's go ahead and um, we're going to quickly just take a look at the passage and compare Adam and Jesus, which Paul's already kind of done for us, but I made a chart so we can really look at it closer. And let's see how Adam and Jesus, um, the things that they did and how they affect the result of their acts, um, what that result is on humankind. And so Adam has this sin or the trespass and trespass. This just means that it was a willful sin. So Eve may have been deceived. She didn't hear God's command. Adam heard God's command and he willfully knowingly ate of the fruit, right? And so this was a willful disobedience. And Jesus gives us the free gift. Sin led to death, but the free gift leads to life. The sin brought condemnation. And the free gift brings justification. Through Adam's disobedience, we were all made sinners. But through Jesus' obedience, we all have the opportunity to be made righteous. And a couple other things that Paul mentions Jesus brings is grace and eternal life. And so Jesus goes above and beyond what Adam brought us. The message says it this way. I don't remember which verse, but it says more than just getting us out of trouble, Jesus got us into life. And the Passion Translation says, for the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. So no matter how many crimes we've committed, no matter how many sins we've committed, even this sin that Adam doomed all of humankind by doing, Jesus' free gift, the magnitude of it is far greater. It's way bigger. And toward the end of our passage tonight, Paul said, um, this is in verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And I thought this was interesting. Grace abounded all the more would be better translated um, superabounded. And this is a word that is used only one other place in all of the Bible and in all of ancient Greek. It's only ever used by Paul. So this grace abounded so much that Paul was inventing words. (laughs) That's how amazing the grace of Jesus is. That Paul invented. I mean, maybe it's somewhere else, but we've never found a manuscript or anything in all of ancient Greek that has this word used. So it seems like maybe Paul made this word up. Jesus' grace super abounds. Um, and I asked us to pay attention to the word rain also. And so we see in this passage that death reigned from Adam to Moses. And um, sin reigned in Adam. But what reigns now? In verse 21, Paul says, sin reigned in death, but grace also might reign through righteousness that leads to eternal life. So grace is what reigns now. And... 
I love this and I haven't wrapped my head all around it. And I encourage you when I'm teaching, take what I say and think about it. I'm not the perfect person with the perfect interpretation. God may open your eyes to different things that he's telling you through scripture. Um, so when I put things out there, test them, think about them, let the Holy Spirit teach you as well. But this, I haven't wrapped my head around, but in verse 17, Paul says that death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive grace reign in life. Who are those who receive? We are. It doesn't just say Jesus reigns. It says we reign. And the New Living Translation puts it this way. We live in triumph over sin and death. So we aren't the rulers of our own lives. Jesus is the ruler of our life. But we live in triumph over sin and death because of what Jesus did. And so God's design was this garden. God's design, I think, was harmony and intimacy in God's presence. And God's design was for us not to hide away in shame. He wanted to be at peace with us. And what Adam did and what we've all done in our sinfulness, in our trespasses, in our willful disobedience, Jesus reverses, but he does more than that. He offers us life, life that starts now and goes on until eternity. Life and grace that superabounds. (laughs) And so to finish tonight, um, the first five chapters of Romans, this kind of ends a section for us. And the first five chapters of Romans, I think, are less to do, they're less about what to do, right? Did it feel like we had a ton of application when we were reading through these first five chapters? It didn't for me. It's hard for me to like say, now go out and change the world by what you've learned. But the gospel changes our lives, right? So we do. We are asked to change the world. But I think that the first five chapters of Romans are more about who we are. Who we were and who we can be because of Jesus. This lays out a foundational theology for us. The foundations of what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. And I borrowed this from another Bible teacher. He says that Paul lays this out for us. Um, this foundational theology, and it keeps us from one of two things that are heresies, he says. Legalism and liberalism. And so the gospel, the true gospel, is not legalistic. It's not so structured that, you know, all we can do is follow every single rule. It's not the law. But it also isn't liberalism where we have license to go keep on sinning and do whatever we want all the time. That there's something in between, and the in-between is the true gospel. And so this chart I borrowed and adapted from Timothy Keller, who gave me this idea this week. Um, And so this is the gospel between two heresies. 
The idea is you are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you are more accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. And so he says that in legalism, we would believe God is holy. And in liberalism, we might believe God is love. But the truth of the gospel is God is holy and love. In legalism, we think we can earn our righteousness. In liberalism, we would think we don't need righteousness. But in the true gospel, we receive God's perfect righteousness from Jesus. In legalism, we would say matter is bad and fallen, and so you should reject all of your physical pleasures. In liberalism, you would think matter's good, and we aren't fallen, so just satisfy your desires. Do whatever you want. And the gospel says, actually, you were created to be good, but we are fallen, like Adam, and so we need to live wisely. Legalism would say, work your way out of feeling guilty, Liberalism would say, convince yourself you're okay. You're not guilty. Nothing's wrong with you. And the gospel, which is life-changing, says you realize you are guilty, but you can rest in Christ. In legalism, it's just this staunch repent of your sins. In liberalism, there's no need for repentance. And in the gospel, repent of your sins, but also repent of your self-righteousness. You're not righteous on your own. You're righteous because of Jesus. And so as we move forward with the rest of Romans, there's going to be a lot more application. There is going to be more about what to do with this amazing grace because we can't just be changed individually. What do we do with this amazing grace? What do we do with this perfect righteousness we've received? What do we do with the free gift and the life abundant that Jesus offers us? And so for now, I want our application tonight to simply be saying thank you. And we kind of started our gathering off that way. um, And I'd like to finish it that way. I want us to take a moment to express our gratitude to God for this truth, for the truth of the gospel, that God is love and God is holy, that we deserve judgment and Jesus stepped in to rescue us Mm -hmm. and to offer us something different um, and to restore us to true humanity. And so let's go ahead and reflect and pray together. I want us to just... Take a couple minutes to think about what we've learned together. I know that in teaching through this, I've learned a lot. I've been reminded of a lot and gotten a better appreciation and better understanding of the gospel and the truth of what Jesus has done. And so let's think about what we've learned in Romans 1 through 5 and just sort of pray with thanksgiving for anything that God's, God's taught you in these last eight weeks now. So...